if you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. From 1980 to 1991, Hobart College won 12 consecutive NCAA Division III National Championships. As part of our ongoing series, African Americans in the History of Lacrosse, we interviewed the members of the Soul Patrol, three African Americans who ran on the same midfield at Hobart, Ray Tiny Crawford, Mark Skip Darden, and Malcolm Anderson. That's today on the Fred Opie Show. The Soul Patrol. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I I couldn't help myself. Tiny Crawford. My family's from Long Island. Out on the island, there was a, there was a Shinnecock tribe, Indian tribe, uh, close to Montauk. I don't know how far back it goes, but I know um, on my dad's side, we have uh, ties to the, to the Shinnecock Indian tribe back on Long Island in the 1800s. And I know that I have a uh, great-great-grandfather that had actually built the first ch- the church that's in Manhasset in Lake Success, the AME Zion Church, African Methodist Episcopal. Zionist Church Historical Landmark in Manhattan, and that was built in 18, 1832. That was one of my my dad's great-great-grandfather. Malcolm, how about you? There's a lot of Jamaican in my background, in Runaway Bay and uh, St. Anne's. My father's side has some Welsh in it, from Wales, a Scoffrey last name. Anderson is, is very much a Scottish, you know, Welsh type of uh, background. Mark Darden. I know I'm related to Harriet Tubman, and I can go back at least to my great-great-grandfather on my father's side. Where did you go to high school? Glenelg High School. Maryland? In Howard County. Tiny Crawford grew up in Manhattan, uh, Long Island. Malcolm Anderson. I grew up in Stony Brook, Long Island. Who introduced each of you to lacrosse? This is Malcolm. Uh, my neighborhood... Uh, my neighbor, uh, who had two or three sons that played lacrosse, uh, his name was um, uh, Mr. Hoppy. He uh, introduced me to the sport by giving me my first wooden stick, actually. Wow. And he thought it would be a... He, he was making sticks at the time. And uh, he was just handing them out to kids, quite literally. He lived around the corner from where I grew up. He was the one that introduced me to the sport, and then my best friend started playing it and uh, encouraged me to start playing it instead of basketball. Tiny Crawford from Manhattan. My good friend, uh, Chris Adams, friend since uh, kindergarten, and it was his dad that actually introduced me to the game. Back in those days, we had uh, uh, the Police Boys Club Athletic Leagues. I was actually playing uh, baseball at the time. I was in the sixth grade. He actually introduced me to the game by bringing me in one of the old uh, the Sam lacrosse sticks. That same day, actually, I finished playing baseball, and a couple hours later, I was on a lacrosse field playing defense on a 
Police Boys Club athletic uh, little league type team. PAL, the Police Athletic League. Mark, how about you? Great. Yeah, just call me Skip. Okay. It was my high school lacrosse coach. I was in the locker room as a freshman talking crap, and this guy on the <laughs> other side said, hey, I bet you couldn't make the lacrosse team. And I was like, I don't play that white boy sport. And he was like, see what you know, the best lacrosse player there was was a black guy named Jim Brown. And I said, Jim Brown, the football player? He said, no, Jim Brown, the lacrosse player. Two days later, my uncle gave me a wooden stick. He worked at the Naval Academy, gave me a wooden stick. I started out with that for a week and then got a Sammy head, and I've been hooked ever since. Malcolm, I'm so jealous y'all started out with Sam. I started out with a fluorescent red PL-77, yellow soft mesh. <laughs> y'all got a head start. You guys are now seniors in high school. What other sports you play besides lacrosse? What were the schools you were looking at when you were deciding to go to college? I'll, I'll go first. I played football. I was all met in football. I ran track just for one season. In my senior year, ended up being fourth in the state in hurdles, all county. And then I played lacrosse. I was Howard County Player of the Year my senior year, two-time first team all county my junior and senior year, and then honorable mention my sophomore year. And I didn't start playing lacrosse until my freshman year. I applied to Ohio Wesleyan, North Carolina, Hobart, the Naval Academy. Navy was my first choice, but my math sucked. So when I found out from Hobart I didn't have to take math, it was uh, it was it was pretty much from there. But my, my, my <laughs> really my, my heart was in Carol my heart was in Carolina. That just didn't work out. And my other school I applied to was uh, Western Maryland College. Played basketball and lacrosse my senior year. More of a defensive six-man stopper. Lacrosse was had really taken over for me as a sport after my freshman year. I started putting more time into that. Uh, by the time I was a senior, I graduated with all-county honors, MVP of a of a Long Island championship. Schools I was looking at: North Carolina, Michigan State, Cornell, Hobart, Hopkins. First choice actually was Cornell. I got accepted to the Ag Life School, not the Arts and Sciences, and I wanted to get into the Arts and Sciences School uh, to pursue medical school. Army and W and L were an early, early consideration. Uh, Hofstra offered me a, a full ride. It wasn't really a consideration because I didn't want to stay on the island. That was Coach Danowski at the time. Yeah, Tanya Crawford played lacrosse all through high school, junior high school. Played football. I was a lineman all the way till my through my 11th grade year, and then my senior year, I was a fullback. As little as I was playing, playing, playing the line, I wrestled all four years in high school. My senior year, I was, I was captain of all, I was captain of all three teams. All county lacrosse player. Uh, went to the county tournament for wrestling as well. Wrestling was probably one of my favorite sports besides football. I never thought I would be playing lacrosse after high school. I never, I never thought that in a million years. Applied to West Point. Applied to Navy. Cornell, Princeton, and Rutgers. My first choice was uh, was West Point. This is Malcolm. I met Tiny when I went on a recruiting trip to West Point. I met him briefly because he was the, one of the only black guys on the team sitting at the team table. Hey listeners, we want to make you aware of the Jim Brown 56 Across Challenge. 
Donate $56 or more to the Uganda Lacrosse Foundation at ugandalacrosse.org. 56 was Brown's Syracuse Lacrosse jersey number. Purchase a copy of my lacrosse memoir slash career advice book, Start With Your Gift. Post a picture of you holding your copy of the book on Instagram and tag me, and I will donate 10% of the proceeds of your purchase to the Uganda Lacrosse Foundation. Your tax-free donation will go a long ways in helping spread lacrosse from not just being the fastest game in the United States, but the fastest growing game across the world. Let's stay with you, Rain, and work our way back. You went to West Point. Tell us what happened yep. and how you ended up then at Hobart. West Point was a it was a it was a it was great experience. It was great experience. I ended up not doing well academically. Uh, actually, just actually one class actually did me in, which was uh, which was English. Write the write the essay. You know, write in class essays. Malcolm talking about uh, cadets falling asleep <laughs> in class. I was one of those famous cadets sleeping at my desk at 8 o'clock in the morning, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, because you're up all night trying to trying to study and and doing your plea thing at night as well. So academically, I didn't do, you know, I didn't actually do well in one, in, in one of my classes. And I ended up uh, going home for a year. So that summer, I applied to Nassau Community College, reapplied to West Point. I got back in. Not a lot of people know this part about it, but I had a conversation with a, uh, a coach, at West Point, uh, John Boldini, Captain John Boldini. We had a long conversation, and he suggested I take a look at a couple of schools, and one of the schools happened to be Hobart College. And then I'm meeting Coach Urick at a, um, they had an event at uh, Nassau Community College where a bunch of college coaches were coming down, and I had an appointment with uh, with uh, Coach Urick. From that point on, uh, I was a statesman as soon as I met Coach Urick. I went to visit the school, and that reminded me of being in uh, at Manhattan High School, that close-knit type of environment where everybody kind of knew everybody. It seemed like a great fit, and it was. So this is Skip. Was I was actually at Loyola University watching uh, Hobart and Carolina. I was a guest of Willie Scroggs and Carolina. I had never heard of Hobart College, but I saw this black guy out on the field <laughs> jacking people up and i was like hey where's this school at the end of the game uh hobart had won uh 9 12 they, they had knocked off carolina who had a 26 game win streak and national champions i'm waiting outside the locker room for coach scroggs and the opposite door opens and it's coach Europe. i didn't know who this guy was and he says uh who are you waiting for and i said i'm waiting for coach scroggs <laughs> They're going to be a while. I said, well, <laughs> get the coach Scroggs. And, you know, he closed the door, and I'm hearing all the screaming and yelling inside the locker room. And then, like, 10 minutes pass, Coach Scroggs never comes to the door. It's really quiet in the Carolina locker room, and the door opens again. There's Coach Jerk again. He says, uh, those guys are going to be a while. You sure you don't want to come in? And he goes, hey, Timmy. He calls Tim Clark over, introducing <laughs> me to Tim Clark. I talked to Tim Clark for like three or four minutes. Tim goes, hey, man, why don't you come on in, you know, uh, meet some of the guys. Talked to Coach Yerk for about five or ten minutes. And the following week, we were up in the Dome watching. The Hobart played UMass, and Syracuse played Harvard. 
and I'm sitting there, and he goes, we play here at least once every other year. And I went to the campus. I came from a very small high school. It was a very small, intimate college scene, and it just seemed like the right fit, and I was in. He was a great recruiter. I was in. That's a great story. He's absolutely. This is Malcolm Anderson, masterful recruiter. I was disillusioned with uh, North Carolina not wanting me and wanting my buddy Chris Walker more. Disillusioned with Johns Hopkins not really wanting me that much. I had pretty much given it up. He just showed up at my school, and I have no idea to this day who called him. I don't think it was Coach Cusa that called him. We were getting ready to play a county championship. He just was in, in Coach Cuzo's office, and he called me in and talked to me about Hobart. And as it turned out, the person that gave me my first lacrosse stick, his son was a, was a Hobart grad, Timmy Hoppy. And he lived right wow. down the street from me. And, and to this day, I, I have a feeling that somehow either Timmy or his dad told Coach Yurk that I, was, I had nowhere to, nowhere to go. He talked to me for a good 20 minutes and then encouraged me to come up to campus. And I was still one of those spring days, y'all. I know the campus was just alive and buzzing, and there was, everybody was around. It was a beautiful day. And as soon as I set foot on campus, my mom looked at me. She said, this is where you're going to go, isn't it? I said, I, Mom, I, I, I can't say no. This is, this is just heaven. Watched them play lacrosse. They were a good team, tenacious team. I was impressed with the way they played their players and the, the number of different players that played on that team from all over. There were upstate players. There were Long Island players. It was impressive. I, I, I did not – I expected to see mostly an upstate team. This team was well-integrated uh, regionally. I felt like I fit, I fit in the moment I stepped on campus. Skip, I don't know that much about your high school, but I want to ask all three of you, let people understand why these three African-American kids went on to be great players at Hobart. Tell people a little bit about the tradition of your high school programs in terms of lacrosse. I'm Malcolm. Everywhere you went, somebody carried a lacrosse stick, and it was all about playing for Ward Melville. Even when I was in sixth grade, I, I, I didn't even know what the high school was outside of lacrosse. The first thing I knew about it was this great dynasty, you know, 78 state champions, and you know, they, they just put people into college playing lacrosse all the time, and they never lost. Ward Melville was a, was a flagship lacrosse program in the 70s and 80s because of Coach Cuzo, Coach uh, Martens, the Hoppies, the people that, that really just lived and breathed lacrosse in that Stony Brook, Setauket area. At that time, there were other programs, but they were mostly to the west of us, uh, like Manhasset and Cold Spring Harbor and, you know, you know some of these other schools, you know, Farmingdale, et cetera. But we, were, we ruled Suffolk County when we started playing for Melville, you, you were playing for a dynasty immediately. It was just assumed that you were going to win the, the county championship, that you were going to win the, the Long Island championship, and you were going to contend for a state championship. Did they and, typically have to beat Sachem to get into the Long Island championship? Sachem, Brentwood, or Smithtown East. What's the difference in grade, Malcolm, between you and Timmy Goldstein? Timmy and I are the same grade, same class. We were just different midfield lines. We shouldn't have played midfield back then, but we needed him to play midfield back then. <laughs> we were stopped at attack with uh, Rob Betcher, uh, Bobby Wayman, and, and Sean Keenan. 
and he played uh, he played midfield. Our '83 class was incredible. He didn't play varsity until you were 11th or 12th grade. Ray, tell people about Manhasset. The tradition of uh, lacrosse in Manhasset is deep. It runs real. It runs real deep. You grew up on the stories of uh, Jim Brown when he played at, at Manhasset High School. Uh, the pictures were up on the wall, so you could actually see the history of uh, of Manhasset lacrosse and when it first started. All the great players that actually played. You know, we had you got like a Bob Henderson who played Johnny Driscoll. Played with his brother Kevin Driscoll. You know, Bob Rule was one of my coaches. Played at Manhattan as well. Star goalie at Cornell and on the world team as well. It was a lot to live up to. Mm-hmm. You never wanted to let anybody down. Manhattan High School had the greatest coaching staff in the country. Two Hall of Fame, unbelievable coaches coaching your offense and your defense. Just the lacrosse IQ you would get playing for those two people. Talking about Bobby Rule and uh, Coach Alan Lowe. Two of the finest coaches I've ever, I've ever had taught me how to love how to love the game of lacrosse. Actually, how to become a student of the game, and that's really what I learned from, from those guys. Skip, you mentioned that you didn't start until ninth grade, but my high school didn't really have a tradition when I played. Glenelg High School now has a tradition. In the past, probably fifteen years, they've been like four times state champs, probably runner up about. Eight times. So we've come up a little oh. short, but my two sons played at Glenelg, and, and so there's a lot of tradition at the school now with lacrosse as the game has, has grown in the central part of the state of Maryland. When I was in high school, big lacrosse schools were Mount, were St. Mary's High School in Annapolis, and then it was Gilman or, or maybe uh, Boys Latin. Most of the public schools sort of held their own. I liken it to basketball, and that's how I kind of gravitated to it. Terminology is the same defensively, drop steps, you know, double teams, offense, you know, fast breaks. The, the terminology is pretty much the same. It was pretty easy for me to transfer those skills into the sport of lacrosse. But we didn't have a lot of tradition. I learned a lot about the tradition of lacrosse as I read about the sport, as I got to know about the origins of the sport, the, the, the Six Nations, the Iroquois. Learned a lot about just other, other players, especially African-American players. I mean, when I talk to Will Humphrey and Aaron Jones and those guys out of uh, Hempstead, and I look at the tradition there, listen and talk to Tiny and Malcolm and the traditions that they had. I mean, we had a few schools here in Maryland, Mount Hebron High School, which was in the same county as me. I was pretty much the only African-American on my team for two years until I convinced my best friend to play. Uh, Mount Hebron High School was probably 50-50 out of maybe eight, Ten of their African American players, probably seven of those guys were all county. I mean, they, they were they were phenomenal athletes, but didn't go on to play at college, but but definitely could. If you have had success in something, do you know why? Or is it an accident? Can you repeat it? Well, I had to start thinking about that in my life. If I've had some success, to what do I attribute that success? I concluded that my success came down to what I call my Super 7. The seven principles have been the formula for success that I developed to thrive on and off the field. 
If you apply these principles, you'll see that they are universal and you can use them in all areas of your life. The book will be available in March. Pre-order a copy of the Super 7 as a paperback book for $9.99 and receive three CD recordings of my live events for $15. That's a $25 offer for $9.99. Go to our online store at fredopiespeaks.com and order it now. What was the transition like both academically and athletically when you went to Hobart? This is Malcolm. I learned a lot in terms of having to discipline myself. I wasn't a great student, but I wasn't a terrible student coming out of high school. I think Hobart made me a, a much more conscientious student. The emphasis was always student-athlete at Hobart. We, we wanted to make sure that we were staying up in our, in our studies. I really just wanted to play lacrosse. <laughs> I learned pretty fast that I needed to transition quickly off the field to, you know, get into the library and, and study and, and, and get keep my grades up. I was uh, academic probation before even the, the lacrosse season started. My freshman year, I didn't do very well in my first two classes. We had trimesters at, at Hobart. <laughs> you might get two chances to really do well in a class, and that's about it, a midterm and a final. So things moved really fast, and I wasn't really used to that either. The person that saved me, saved probably all three of us, was Jim Henderson. He helped us as, as black athletes transition from being, you know, on the lacrosse field, being rising stars to being better students in the classroom and being credible students to our, to our teachers by helping us structure our time and manage our time correctly. He worked in the resource center, student resource center. He was the head of the student resource center, actually. Well, his job was to basically help students do just that transition, understand the academic rigors, how to strategize and manage your time correctly, how to put in study time and work it around a schedule with practice time. He was amazing. How was the transition lacrosse for you? I learned how to have more than a right hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. My, my right hand was one, one and done. It's definitely a large, you know, large fish, small pond, to a small fish, large pond type experience. I was a very good lacrosse player, I think, at, at ward level. I had a, a dip my freshman, sophomore year. I think I got a little discouraged about what I needed to learn and the hard work I had to put in to learn some of the new skills, the things they were asking me to do. I also had to gain weight, which I never thought I had to do because I came in at like 175. And Coach put me on a two Big Mac diet, two Big Macs a day. And by the time I was a junior, I was like 190. I had to change everything about my style of play, my patience, uh, letting the game come to me. I dictated the play a lot at the, at the midfield at, at Ward Melville. We started fast breaks. We, we initiated from the midfield. At Hobart, it was definitely attack initiated. <laughs> Would you agree, guys? Oh, yeah. Most definitely. <laughs> that was a big adjustment as a midfielder. That's how I think why we had to make a name for ourselves because I remember Tiny saying, what if we just had our own midfield place? <laughs> 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 and, I, and I was like, Tiny, don't say that. What if we just, we just stayed on the field and then we just ran our own play? And it wasn't like just black or black plus. What if we had our own stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because we knew once the ball got around to the attack part of the field, it wasn't coming back. 
<laughs> we tried to keep the ball up top as much as possible. Yep. Uh, Skip, talk about your transition. Mine was fear of my parents. I got this college. I'd never forget. I got this four in the morning. I walked to the bathroom, and I was nervous as all get out. I was like, oh, my God, what I get myself into? The thing I, I wasn't exposed to was it seemed like everybody went to prep school. And if they didn't go to prep school, they went to a public school that sounded like a prep school, like Ward Melville, Jamesville <laughs> DeWitt, West Genesee. I was like, what the hell have I got myself into? I remember just praying, you know, Lord, let me not let my parents down and do the best I can. And that really motivated me. I was not a high-achieving high school student, but I always my thought was I'm always going to outwork everybody. And so I never, I was never an act pro thanks be to God, really never had the fear of having someone call me to the carpet on my grade. That worked to my advantage, but I, I always had to work like twice as hard. I would find quiet places on campus in Demers Hall, which was the, the chapel, and go up in the rafters and study. Just find odd places where I could just be quiet, because I'm not a very fast reader, and I'm, my, my comprehension you know, you got you got to know who you are. At least mm-hmm. I knew that. I know my comprehension was a little slow, so I'm going to read a little bit slower. I'm going to take me a little bit more time to digest things. And as Malcolm said, the, the trimester system went really, really fast. I just had a number of academic experiences. My freshman year one transition was, you know, as much as in the work world, they try to get you to work together in teams. It didn't quite work for me in the class. I remember having a professor accuse me of making huge grammatical errors on a paper that I did with a, a joint uh, a joint paper with a student who was later a, a teammate of mine. And I relied on that person to do that part of the paper because they did go to one of these prestigious prep schools. And at that point, I realized very quickly in the first trimester that the playing field is equal to the extent that if I work hard, I can do well. That, that paper was was not presented very well. It just taught me to not doubt myself academically. As long as I apply myself, I would be able to succeed and you know do well at Hobart. The other thing was one of our assistant coaches, B.J. O'Hara, also told me after freshman year, you can handle the work here. He said, we recruited you out of uh, Howard County High School, and we know that you can do the work. And I didn't mm. understand what that meant at the time. I didn't realize that the high school, the county, it ranks up there in the top five over the past 10 or 15 years. So that gave me a little bit of comfort to know that, that I could do it. But Hobart stressed a lot of writing, a tremendous amount of writing. That I was pretty good at. That I could, I could, I could BS with the pen a little bit. So that, that got me over. When I got to Hobart, everything was scripted. And I wasn't quite used to things being scripted as a team from a midfield-oriented offense when we had the, the older Grimaldi was there and when Jimmy Malvey and Italy and all those guys were there, I think the offense was midfield-driven. And then by the time we arrived, the offense became attack-driven. And that was something that I, I had to get used to. Coming out of Maryland, everything was kind of open and free-flowing. Hang your stick out a little bit in, in freestyle in Maryland. The style of lacrosse was very much like Long Island. It was flashy. It was fast. It was 
you know, behind the back, split dodging in upstate New York. It was bull dodging and just knocking the crap out of it. I had to get used to the physical style of play. Go after ground ball, you might be looking up and, and seeing, you know, seeing the planes fly overhead of the birds because you're going to get planted. That that was the biggest thing for me. And I was I was a light guy when I came. I was 139 pounds. When I graduated, I was like 157 pounds maybe. I didn't put on a lot of weight in college. Mm-hmm. So I relied on my speed to keep me alive. Come off the pick the wrong way in practice. Yeah. You know, somebody is anticipating it. You could find yourself sore for a couple of days. So to me, it was the, the very physical style of, of, of Hobart lacrosse. Um, we weren't the fastest. I think the three of us added a lot of speed to, to a team that otherwise would really need to rely on the ball to move quickly. It was very, very physical. The practices were very intense and physical. Every practice, we, we had a system where you got so many points, ground balls, you got so oh, yeah. many points for a goal. Then you got minus points if the team scored on you. You oh, got a turnover. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a turnover. It was done on a merit. merit. It, was, it was a merit system. And that determined whether or not you started or you played. And so you needed to make sure that not only the merit system was to your benefit, but every day that you went out and you practiced, that you were, you were really trying to take somebody's position. You, you wanted to be on the field. And that's the only way you were going to get on that field. Every practice was like it was game day. Don't get on the field if you didn't. If you weren't going to give 100 percent, at least 110 percent, then don't come out to practice. There was no pulling back. Ground balls, you were going to get. It. If you didn't pick up that ground, get out of the way. If you're not getting a ground ball, somebody was coming for you. We were coming no matter what. Guys like Timmy Clark and uh, Devin Arkinson and those guys coming down on you. It's not a pretty picture. Nationwide, Harlem Lacrosse transforms the lives of student athletes from low income neighborhoods. Harlem Lacrosse students receive hundreds of hours of quality training on the field, in school support, and other resources year round and for free. The result is that students improve their fitness, lacrosse skills, grades, and get on a trajectory for a successful future. To learn more and get involved, go to harlemlacrosse.org. Tiny, how about you? We'll talk a little bit about your transition. Just left the point. You had that experience of being asked to leave. You spent a, a year at Nassau. How did it go? How long did it take you to get your sea legs in the classroom at Hobart? What I did at Nassau Community College was, was study. I just, I just, I studied. I took that whole year. I didn't play. I didn't play any lacrosse. I had a nine to five job, and I went to school at night. I did that for a whole year. Full load of classes. Physics. I had calculus. I had English. I did well in school. I went there in the summer, actually, that summer. In August, I went to play football. Played football, you know, my first year at, at uh, Hobart. Coming from a year where you did absolutely nothing but work and go <laughs> to school and then try <laughs> and then try to play a, a varsity sport in college. That was a tough transition, trying to get myself right, you know, trying to get myself back in the shape. I thought I was, you know, I was running and I was lifting. But nothing compared to if you're out of a if you're out of it for a while. You talk about the academic transition. Started out very rough. 
like Malcolm, I found myself, again, being on academic probation, like a repeat from coming out of uh, West Point because I didn't understand the uh, trimester system and how fast it was and how much reading and, and, and writing you actually had to do at Hobart. Being in that situation, again, I actually had a sit-down conversation with, uh, with Coach Eric during that time, as a matter of fact. He told me I needed to get it together. I shut myself down a little bit and regrouped and said, what do I need to do to do well here at, at Hobart as far as academics? Like Skip, I focused on having a place where I could go study. What did I actually need to do to keep myself ready academically? Figured it out along the way. I had to do it quickly because I did not want to be on academic probation again. Skip said I didn't want to disappoint my uh, my folks at all. That was in my first year. That next year was a lot was a lot better where we had to we had to write our essays. You know, you had to write your baccalaureate essay. The thing that really kicked me in the butt academically was when we had an away game. We were going on on an away trip. I was supposed to have a test the same day as the game, and being on academic probation. Coach pulled me to the side and says, you're not going. You're not going to travel with the team. Uh, John Collins is going to bring you up before the game starts. I don't know if you guys remember that at all. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned it, I do, yeah. And that's when it really hit me hard. And I had explained to Coach that I had arranged to take the test. When I got back from the trip, he goes, no, the day everybody else takes it, you're going to take it. It made me realize a lot about the type of place that I was at and the team that I was playing on and the, the type of uh, – Coaches that we did have, they really wanted us to graduate to make sure we got our education in first. That was first. You know, that really stuck with me. I never wanted to let them down as well as my family. I made sure that I uh, I did what I was supposed to do academically before ever stepping on the field. I still think about that a lot. Do what you have to do uh, to, to make things right. Athletics are great, but you got to get your education in there first. Who made the decision to create the Soul Patrol as a line? Three brothers on on a line, which I've never seen outside of a predominantly black high school like Hempstead. Who made that decision? Secondly, what was it like to play for Coach Yurik? What was your favorite Yurikism? Tell you the truth, I can't remember. I don't have. I can answer. I can answer the question partially. This is Malcolm. We were originally the black midfield. Black midfield because the midfields had colors. There was that's right. Gold. Yep. Blue, black, red. Red midfield was the last midfield, right? So we moved from the red to the black. We were basically just younger guys. We moved from black to blue together. But I will tell you, not one of us put us together. The only person that could have put us together would have been Coach Yurik. He's the only one that would have had the, would have had the ability to make that call. We didn't always stay together early on. It was only in our junior, senior year that we were a standard midfield. But coming in, like Skip moved up to blue. We were blue or gold for the Washington College game, right? Yeah. Right. And then quickly moved back down to red. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Coach York saw that we ran well together. We really, we really did gel well together. Uh, with Tiny's face-off ability, Skip's speed, I think we really worked well together. It would have been silly to, to break us up. Yeah, this is Skip. I'll take a shot at it, too. They're both right. Nobody put us together. We didn't ask to be together. But given the makeup of the team, the three of us were like line brothers on a fraternity. Uh-huh. I had Tiny's back. Tiny had Malcolm's back. Malcolm had my back. 
I had Malcolm's back. We we had to pull together, and it just carried over off the field. We spent time together. It carried over onto the field. It carried over when we ate. The only time we really didn't we didn't room with one another on on road trips. We would always room with different guys. But I think Coach Urich recognized the chemistry. I knew this big six two guy, I knew what he wanted to do when he won the ball. I knew where he wanted to catch the ball on the seat. I knew what Tiny was gonna do off the face off. They knew what I was gonna do. I, I liken it to, you know, when the Gates play, they're they're twins. They kinda of just know what the other's gonna do. And that's just how we were. We kind of knew. I knew where to put the ball from Malcolm. I knew what he liked. I knew what Tiny liked. I knew when Tiny was coming out of the dodge, kind of dipped that little shoulder. He was getting yep. ready to crank it. He was, or he was going to shoot. So we just kind of fed off to one another. And it, and Tiny, it just stuck. Tiny was going to shoot anyway. And nobody named us. We kind of named ourselves. We took ownership of that name. And, and we were proud of it. And proud to go and travel and be something different. I mean, I have a, a guy that I've gotten in over the past 10 years, Al Hernandez, who went to, um, he played at UNBC. He's like, I remember you, Tiny and Malcolm, coming to Ho- uh, Hofstra and playing and playing at Manhattan High School. And, you know, all the kids were coming to see, you know, three black midfielders. And I was like, really? We didn't even know. People didn't think about had no clue. No clue at all. After your playing career, you learned that these younger kids were actually they knew who you were and wanted to see you if you if they had a chance yeah yeah that's absolutely correct our scripture of the day is james chapter 1 verses 23 and 24 Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Olympic gold medalist Jackie Joyner Kersey said, it's better to look ahead and prepare than to look back and regret. All right, Yurikisms. Give me some favorite Yurikisms. If you're going to be a bear, you better be a grizzly. <laughs> yep. People like their champions one day at a time. This is Malcolm. Only the postman walk. Once you're wet, you're wet. Every day is a holiday. Every meal is a banquet. Because there were some bad days at Hobart. We just didn't want to practice. and We had some bad meals, too, every once in a while on the road. And you just roll with it. If I were to make you a dean at Hobart and you had to come up with a required course to graduate from Hobart, a course that would get you ready for life, what life is going to bring, what would you put in your required course? So much they don't teach in college, that's for sure. Malcolm Anderson, the, the psychologist definitely would want to have integrational course in integrity development, portion of the course being in self-reflection and identity development in social contact and boundary construction of one's personality as it reflects upon the society that you serve. That's your next book. 
(laughs) (laughs) I think when you leave Hobart, you should know not only who you are, but you should learn certain skills for how to maintain who you are in an honest way that will be reflective in the society that you serve. This is Skip, sorry. Now, I like that, Malcolm. And I was trying to think, Fred, about the answer. Um, I think I'd have to ditto Malcolm. Malcolm, did you ever take Legos and Sophia with Marvin Brown? No. Yeah. Would you say that course was almost congruent with what Malcolm just said? I agree. I wish it it was mandatory. It would fill up right away. You could only take it your last term of your senior year. It was like your your next step into the real world. And it was pretty much almost everything that you had just said. I think he only taught that two days a week, 30 students in a class. Only 60 students got to take that. I'm along the lines of uh, basic life skills, how to keep your car on the road, maintaining your finances, maintaining a home and an apartment, just basic skills. We actually need more of that. I think I'm just really, really, really happy to, to have such great friends. Um, I don't know what, where I would be without Skip and Tiny and Will. And They, they opened their, their hearts to me, brought me to parties, dragged me out of parties. I am definitely the person I am today because of uh, Skip and Tiny, and I'm really proud of it. Just really happy to, to have this moment with them. Thank you so much. Can we do a part two at another time? Sure. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show, If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. 